as I was flipping through a book called Time, a monthly miscellany or interesting and amusing literature edited by Edmund Yates and published in 1881, I ran across this uh, interesting and amusing essay called About Babies by a Bachelor. It's, um, it's worth a listen to. About Babies by a Bachelor. I never see a baby without feeling for it a most sincere and sorrowful sympathy. And in what other way can any really philosophic and right-thinking man look upon a baby? We have been dosed to death with the poetry of childhood, but the prose of it, the plain, painful prose, has been strangely forgotten. Yet perhaps this is hardly to be wondered at when we bear in mind the miseries of memory that can be conjured up by harking back to our childish days. As children, however, many have been happy enough, but as babies, who can remember aught save the wretchedness? Fortunately, those very early times leave but little, if any, impress on the recollection. Still, of those who boast of being able to bring before their mental vision things that happened within a few months of their birth, I ask, without fear of the answer, would you like to be a baby over again? Who's there that can honestly say yes to this crucial question? Who is there that would not sooner die at once than turn back and begin anew his infantine career and repeat its scenes and sufferings? No, let us hear no more of the babblings of babyhood, as if they were the gurglings of happiness, rather than the inarticulate murmurs of misery. Let us put down the cries and the crowings to their rightful cause, the intense wretchedness of infant existence. I write of this matter from an independent point of view. I am not fettered and trammeled by parental prejudice or mistaken affection. For more years than need be here told, I have studied babies. They have been to me a hobby, such as are butterflies to some and pigeons or poultry to others. In my estimation, babyhood is a distinct state of suffering, a period of probation, as it were, a sort of preliminary purgatory. During these months, the human animal is entirely at the mercy of others, helpless and hopeless, without power of speech or action. But it is a matter of, for philosophical speculation whether a baby does not therefore think the more and lay up in its head and heart a perfect store of malice, hatred, and all uncharitableness for future use in the life that is to come. There is no knowing how the character of a baby may be soured and its after-career shaped by the oppression and suffering it has gone through in the days of its infancy, though they shall have made no impression upon its mind and leave no after-traces in its memory. But all this deep thinking is beyond the scope of my subject. From a long and exact study of babyhood, I have arrived at several clear conclusions as to some of the causes from which spring the misery of this stage of human existence. I despair of making fathers and mothers understand my meaning, for none are so blind as those who will not see. And parents, of course, think their babies are the happiest in the world. But I write for the philosophic few who look with sad and serious eyes on all mortality. Who has not seen the careworn countenance of a baby some few weeks old and wondered at its looks of aged sorrow? 
Whence came that furrowed brow, those wrinkled cheeks, that vacant stare of the despairing eyes? There can be no other reason for this absolute negation of all gaiety and gladness in one so young, save the sense of being strangely misunderstood. Over and over again, have I seen an intelligent baby trying to make itself clear to the dull mind of its nurse or mother, but in vain. It's every action put down to the wrong motive, and each inarticulate cry smothered as if it meant nothing. It is no wonder that some men of quick genius grow up with a fine contempt for the stupidity of all mankind. They doubtless began to harbor this feeling from their very earliest infancy. When suffering under the strange bluntness of perception shown by those around them, and that bluntness is something truly wonderful, even though we reflect that it arises from the absurd habit of looking upon babies as creatures who can neither think nor feel in any mental or moral sense of that expression. This is indeed the fundamental error of all baby management. As long as parents and nurses will persist in lightly treating every outpouring of the infantine intellect as if it was of no moment, so long will babyhood remain in the sad state of suffering from misconstruction and misapprehension. The very way in which a baby is dressed is an insult to its dignity, to say nothing of its comfort or convenience. What can be more absurd than to encumber with clothes a young and growing animal, to fetter its every moment to hinder its actual breathing? These long robes are indeed only meant for show, the body within them is but a lay figure, and so even a baby is compared to offer sacrifice at the altar of fashion. But how cumbersome they are, how ridiculous it makes the little face look when peering out of such a mess of clothing, how awkward to hold with any ease or grace. It must be said that I do not know how to nurse a baby, but that is beside the question. Ask the doctors whether all this wrapping up is needful or wholesome. Or better still, ask the poor bandaged bundle of a baby itself how it likes being so strapped and smothered and find an answer in its endless wailings. The way in which babies cry, sometimes for days and nights together, ought to teach even the most stupid parents that they are not happy. But no. These moans of misery are looked upon as if they came naturally and without any cause whatever. No heed is paid to them, save to stifle their expression, and no attempt is made to understand these inarticulate murmurs of one who is so miserably misunderstood. Yet who can tell what the baby wants to say and what sorrow it is not striving to specify? The crying is put down to temper, and then the poor baby is so shaken about that it can hardly sob or rocked until it falls asleep from very weariness. And this is called nursing and management. Then there is the feeding with a spoon or a bottle, always in the most undignified manner, always reckless of quality and quantity. Of course the health of an infant can do nothing. Knowing quite well that illness or serious discomfort must follow from its being crammed like a prized turkey fattening for Christmas. It has still to lie quiet and be stuffed without a murmur, or if it does cry out ever so little, then it will be deemed fractious and treated accordingly. 
Over and over again, I have seen a wise and temperate baby try to refuse and reject the food a foolish nurse was forcing down its throat, only to meet with contempt and derision. It is no wonder that young people think but lightly of the wisdom of their elders, if they remember ever so little of their baby days when those elders seemed so stupid and so obstinate to their finer sensibilities. It is well for parents that their children forget the treatment they received during infancy, or there could be no room for any grateful feeling. Then the physic king. Some people are always dosing the unhappy beings with whom they have the charge during babyhood. It seems to be supposed that babies have no taste for nasty things and ought actually to like the nauseous powders that are put in their protesting mouths. No one will ever know how many babies have been killed by overphysicking, which is, in its way, a sort of consolation. Here again I say, ask the doctors who have lately woke up to this evil and to the discovery that even a baby is a human being subject to natural laws and not a lay figure to be experimented upon medicinally. But if people would only pay attention to their inarticulate protests of the babies themselves, this and other things would soon be remedied. So it is throughout the joyless days of babyhood. A growing infant is impelled by nature to stretch its little limbs and wax strong with healthful exercise. But no, clogged with clothes, neither its arms nor legs can move freely. And if in angry protest against such senseless slavery, it raises its voice, then comes more padding, shaking, rocking, feeding, or physicking until it has got to sleep somehow or other. The absurd way in which people play with a baby or appeal to its sense of fun or fancy is also a matter upon which might be written. What can be more ridiculous than seeing a grown-up person making hideous faces or emitting horrible sounds under the belief that they please the baby? Often I have seen a smile of pitying contempt come over the careworn countenance of an infant as it witnessed these absurd antics of a former generation. Again, the thought arises how strong a notion of the imbecility of the human race in general must be acquired by a meditative baby who looks down upon these preposterous proceedings with the calm eye of a philosopher. To imagine that it can be amused by such awkward gambles is an insult to the youngest and the weakest intellect that ever anybody yet possessed. But more than this, what an insight into the hollowness of human nature is shown to babyhood by the behavior of its parents and elders around its very cradle. What panoramas of humbug and hypocrisy are unfolded to its wondering gaze. What depths of deceitfulness are laid bare. What heights of assurance are made visible to its astonished stare. All this, too, is done without the slightest heed of the baby's feelings or dignity. It must be a nice thing for a girl baby to hear times out of number that it is the very image of its coarse, snub-nosed, red-haired, vulgar father, when in truth it has its mother's pretty face. But this is only one of the stock stories that every baby soon learns to treat as they deserve. 
At the christening, an infant of any intellect must have its eyes open to much of the sordid greed in which this world is filled. This last thing thought of is the religious ceremony. The first, the qualifications of competing godfathers. Here the money question begins to take hold of the baby's mind. Never again to leave it free from the tainting touch, from that tainting touch. Over the very cradle itself, there is talk of expectations and golden mugs. And no wonder that the listening baby gets an aged, careworn face and looks wary and sharp with wisdom. An infant is, in a general way, expected to sleep a great deal more than is necessary. How is a baby to grow up bright and brisk if it is always slumbering instead of staring at the glorious sunshine and kicking about in the warm, fresh air of heaven? One would think that all life was a sleepy affair. So sleepily is it begun in babyhood. But this too arises from that constant misunderstanding of baby wants, which is at the bottom of every error in their management. The poor little thing crows and cries to get free of its fetters in the way of clothing and stretch its limbs in action. When comes its nurse and puts it to bed for being fractious. Then the mother wonders that it does not grow fat and wax strong and healthy. But how is that possible when every natural effort is thwarted and put down by an ignorant but higher power? So it is throughout those miserable months of babbling babyhood, during which, as I believe, plots of future vengeance are hatched in the baby brain only to be worked out afterwards. There is no other way of accounting for the malicious mischief of boys and girls. Clearly their whole nature is in rebellion to all authority, but how has it got to such a mutinous condition? We need not invent a theory as to the ineradicableness of human nature or talk about original sin. All the wicked ways of children can be explained as a revolt against the supremacy of their parents and nurses during infancy and as a vengeance for what they were made to suffer in the days of their babyhood. This, at all events, is the conclusion I have come to after a deep study of that great question and it is with a view to the improvement of future generations by the better management of the human infant that I have put together these few thoughts about babies. And so, what was lost has once again been found. Thank you for listening and for helping to resurrect this bygone story. For tales only live when they are told. Spare a thought for the stories of our time who befall a similar fate. Not all great artists are remembered in history's library. And if saving stories inspires you, then come back to our reading room, bring a friend perhaps, and just for a while, stand firm in the face of time. <laughs>